0: path of night is an actual play vampire the masquerade podcast set in the world of darkness we're all friends we're here to have fun but our story can include graphic violence drug use sexual content and other mature themes content warnings can be found in the show notes we talk at our table about safety comfort and consent both as players and storytellers we know what to expect we're all excited to be here and we want you to feel the same so listener discretion is advised now let's walk the path of night
1: last time, on Path of Night, the group finally escaped from the chantry. Miles introduced the Coterie, Ira, and Eden to their new haven. Neil woke to visions of Ravana, familiar faces, and new. A red star hung in the sky, and the Bruja introduced him to Catherine and asked him to secretly investigate the Sabat. Neil began his infiltration. Night falls, one at a time. The group of you become aware again of your surroundings and recall with vivid memory what took place just last night. Some of you have not found peace and a safe place for multiple nights at this point. I'm going to go around in a circle, and I want each of you to describe how you make your way To the den, the gathering place within this new haven. If you
2: go at all. Johnny. Johnny's eyes open up. And for a second he's kind of confused about where he is. And then, seeing all of the decorations that Miles has put in, with Johnny in mind, he immediately kind of puts things back together and Centers himself and says, okay, all right. He sits up from the bed, a little bit too soft for Johnny's tastes. He kind of feels over the damage from last night. At this point, his hair has grown back. His eye is now starting to work again. The vampiric curse does have its benefits. Being able to survive a night like he did last night and already be recovering, is one of them. So he celebrates with the Morley. He grabs the pack of cigarettes he pilfered from (laughs) Ira, and he probably smoked most of them in the early morning before he uh, fell into sleep. But there's still a couple left, so he pops one in his mouth, lights it up, and then looks over to see what kind of clothes have been tucked away in this room.
3: So you have a variety of your normal wear between flannels and various Levi's 501s and whatnot but there's also a closet containing a number of things more uh suitable for a seneschal maybe. There's a number of dress shirts and pants and and fitted belts with like blazers and stuff like that and like actual dress shoes. He
1: knew your sizes.
3: There's also like there's a pretty decent looking like sound system there is like the only real major accommodation besides like a couple signed posters from bands we've talked about they're like framed and whatnot in the room late 80s early 90s kind of um so there's like a cassette player but there's also like a record thing on top of it with like those huge ass speakers in like one corner with a bunch of different uh records and cassettes based on things we've had discussions about
2: johnny fiddles with the sound system a little bit and puts on some some music not blaring it he's doesn't want to wake everybody in the house up but just enough to kind of calm down center him as he looks through this weird wardrobe of clothes that he would definitely wear but just you know it's not his and takes out some some jeans puts on a uh a t-shirt kind of looks through some of the the fitted shirts and and dress pants with a little bit of unease it's almost like looking into a future of being a respectable seneschal that he really does not want to ever get to. And then looks through the collection of shoes, doesn't really see any work boots like he's used to, but uh, there is a pair of cowboy boots that he ends up putting on. And after he uh, kind of stretches out a bit, gets the clothes on, heads out to the uh, living space to see where the rest of the coterie is.
4: of bed did Miles pick out for Win?
3: Um, they all have about king size beds. Typically, okay. um, these rooms are not small. Even the individual rooms are not small, so the the beds are huge. It's pretty normalish overall. Miles doesn't really think about the beds too much because we're not really around to experience them half, most of the time.
4: Well, Win is coming from pretty much. She hasn't slept on something that's not an army cot or in the ground. So. Before she goes to bed, Wynne kind of walks around the circumference of the room, just taking it in, kind of instinctively learning the borders of her space. It's probably unnecessary at this point, but she does take a shower, noting how very weird the water feels hitting where her hair used to be, where her eyebrows used to be. And as she showers, she notices that the scrap of flannel from her dad's shirt that she's worn on her wrist for a while now, was a casualty of the dragon fire. As she realizes that it's not there, she starts processing how close to the end she could have gotten. And it's probably a fair amount of time goes by that she just kind of stands in the shower, thinking. And eventually she, some noise in the house, maybe a heater kicking on, maybe a, you know, just a fan somewhere maybe the smell of Johnny's cigarette smoke just brings her back out of her head. And she turns the water off and towels off, heads to bed. She doesn't really remember falling asleep. She just remembers that they, this must be what luxury feels like to lie in a bed like this. And when she wakes up, there is just a, a fountain of her hair in her face where it has regrown. It's probably in her mouth. She blows it past her lips and Stands up and kind of wraps one of the blankets around herself as she goes to investigate the clothes that Miles has procured and kind of takes a minute to appreciate the details that he's added
3: your initial clothing offering is not terribly different than Johnny's in many <laughs> ways. your room is different in the sense that there's no real electronics that exist in here. Um, there is a, a very large bookshelf that takes up a wall and you can tell by perusing over it that each shelf is a different kind of genre. Like there's a collection of occult books. There's a collection of like prose and poetry and, there's a collection of, like, philosophy and stuff like that all on different shelves that he's either noted you'd been reading before or just kind of asked somebody else that knew more about that <laughs> stuff than he did. And then other than that, there's some, like, framed artwork around there that he he decided that would be, I don't know, appropriate for his, like, landscape type deals. But, like, there's always, like, a hint of, like, darkness in all of them, like, at the same time. They're not, like, oppressive, but they're just not... They're not just... Idealic mm. in a lot of ways. Um, you also have a closet full of clothes that, um, much like Johnny, are fitted to. You. There are a couple dresses, just in case.
4: <laughs> what? <laughs> What are these like ball gowns or are these like cocktail dresses?
3: Uh, they're a little bit of both, but like most of them are just not, they're not going to hamper your function or whatnot. They're just dresses to be more dressy in a lot of ways, like to change it up. If you wanted to completely surprise an individual, that, that's... <laughs> That's what they exist as, and a couple of the, uh, like at least two of them, go along well with the snake patterning that you have in mm. terms of coloring. But other than that, yeah, you have fitted shirts and pants and stuff like that. You in in the same way that you could also look like some sort of enforcer. Uh, <laughs> a series of different boots and work shoes and and whatnot all exist in there, including some heels.
4: <laughs> Wynn definitely looks at them like with. All right, maybe I won't wear it, but if I could carry it, I could definitely do some damage with that. <laughs> but she takes a moment to appreciate the time and effort it must have gone into. The money means very little to Miles. She understands that. It's just, it's a he's a ventrue. Money is going to be there. But the care he's taken is a much more precious commodity. And she is kind of overwhelmed for a minute that he has taken this much time to ensure that she is understood via her clothing and aesthetic choices. So she puts on some jeans and a tank top and then throws a flannel over it. She kind of cuffs the jeans and doesn't bother putting on shoes. Her feet look like someone who was barefoot most of the time. And she just kind of pads up the stairs, kind of gives Johnny a nod.
1: Righto.
5: I think the first question before I get into the description is how you've differentiated Britta's room and what clothing you've left for her.
3: I think there's a lot of things from the cafe that you had kept around that I replicate in some ways. The one for your specific room in terms of like general textures and whatnot. There seems to be an area where there's a generous amount of like art supplies and whatnot going on there. There is your own little stereo system type deal with a number of CDs and whatnot that we discussed about, plus the collection that we talked about before. So in a sense, you have it in two different places. A series of books also exist in there, but different and more towards the, the art and the prose, but different than the ones that Wynn might have. There's definitely some art in your wall, but there's more looks like spaces have been left, specifically like frames with nothing in them for you to add to your own things later. You have a variety of clothing that was existed previously when you lived with Miles, a number of things that can be used, both business wear and whatnot. And you paid attention to some of the stuff you wore before, but you also were kind of chameleon-esque in some ways. So like, there's just a whole lot of variety for you to utilize, including... A number of very, very expensive, very well tailored dresses and business suits if you wanted to go that way. You have a much larger selection of the nicer stuff than uh, Wynn and Johnny. It's almost (laughs) like
2: we're set in our ways and they're kind of easy to predict. It's almost like you're giving her this like weird space that she can kind of grow into. Right.
3: Also Like you're posing the
1: question, how do you dress, you know?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you also, unlike the other two, have an extensive makeup collection that you have access to. There's a lot more stuff, per se, in your room than theirs, in a way. They're kind of a little bit more Spartan on top of that. Like, you go into the bathroom and there's just a lot more stuff in the bathroom.
5: <laughs> well, that's actually relevant because I think the the previous night, Britta would have taken a very long shower and basically tried to scrub her skin off. So, if there's a collection of products there, yep. uh, she would have spent a very long time getting every trace of any anything off of herself. Not that it would help. She would still feel like it's there. But after she took that shower and tried to feel clean and failed, she would have gone around the room and collected all the pillows off the bed, anything soft, the, the comforter, off of it. Dragged it into the closet. In the closet, she would have grabbed the cheapest softest thing that you've provided that she could wear put it on and set up this clean very hidden away very tight nest almost like she's trying to replicate the feeling of her sleeping bag or like she's trying to hide from the world and when she finally wakes up hidden away in that closet in all the blankets and everything that she's put there she doesn't she doesn't leave it the Coterie doesn't see her come out of her room.
0: Ira. Ira wakes up in Miles's nice but unpersonalized, unadorned guest room the way that he fell asleep, which is sitting with his back against a wall in the corner of the room where he can see the doorway and the window he fought sleep as hard as he could for as long as he could, but he is kindred and succumbed to the sun just like everybody else. His mind filled with thoughts. He has never, in some ways, failed like this before. He has always managed to keep cover long enough to call a council of the Asters so that a perpetrator could be taken in. He has never outed himself before. Certainly not for some fucking kid. And he falls asleep with thoughts that at any second from somewhere in the astral plane, his head will fly from his shoulders, his blood will boil in his body, and he won't. He can stop it if he just stays awake. So when he wakes up the next evening, he is sort of awake with a start back to the wall, still looking around, checking to make sure he's not dead hand going up to his face where his like jowls his face had got pulled off into jowls like even though he healed it yesterday it's still a reflex sort of snapping back from that panic about you know the uh, the perp got away and knows my id to the horrors that were underneath the chantry the feeling of his face getting pulled apart Uh, and then his hand goes down to his gut where most but not all of the damage from the chainsaw has been healed at this point There's not, like, clothes in the guest room.
3: Yeah, there's a variety of just generic stuff. Sweats and a t-shirt kind of deal. Sweats and a t-shirt. There's some, just, like, a couple different sizes of buttoned-up shirts, some jeans in various sizes. It's it's pretty extensive, but nothing interesting.
0: He gets up. Once he realizes he's not dead, Shakily looks around, looks through the clothes in the drawers, finds, like a pair of jeans and a button-up shirt in his size, takes his sneakers into the bathroom and, like, uses, like, a guest toothbrush <laughs> to, like, clean them off, make sure they look okay, and puts those back on and heads out with, like, a purpose to where he's going. Like, he has an idea of maybe this situation could still be salvaged and seems surprised to see Johnny and Wyn out in the den already and looks at Johnny and says, I'll be back in a minute, um, I'm assuming there's got to be a corner store near here. I'm going to get some smokes.
2: Johnny nods and uh, pats down his pants um, and uh, reaches into his pocket and pulls out a couple of bills and says, mind give me a couple packs too?
0: Ira takes the money? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be back. I appreciate everything that y'all are doing here, but I assume you folks want to a minute amongst yourselves, so I'll I'll be back. Stay, Stay safe, Ira.
2: You're not bad for a Tremere.
4: Wynn kind of gives a begrudging nod to what Johnny says, but definitely gives Ira a no, but seriously, take care of yourself.
0: He goes over to the counter, pulls like a little piece of paper and a pen, and writes a phone number on it, and then can't quite decide which of the two of you to give it to, and sort of just puts it down in the table in front of you, all folded up. If I don't come back in an hour or so, just uh, do me a favor and give this number a call. Tell them that uh, I know I'm missing in New Haven.
4: Are there going to be follow-up questions? Not for you. Okay. Wynne takes the number and folds it, puts it in her phone pocket, but she, I don't think she got her phone back from Miles yet.
0: You are coming back, though, right? I want to smoke, and I got your money,
2: so... That doesn't... We appreciate the times that we can talk to ourselves, but
0: I'm pretty sure we all want to talk to you some more as well. I assume we all got questions, and there's a there's only a little bit of trust to go around. Uh, I have an idea on how maybe we could trust each other at all beyond the level. All right, we'll Look go, forward
4: to hearing about it.
0: Go get those smokes first. He nods, and there's like a hesitation before he opens the front door, almost like he expects someone to be there outside the front door. And then takes a breath, closes the door behind him, and walks out into the night.
4: Wynn kind of looks over toward Johnny. Any sign of Miles and Britta yet? Not yet. All right, give him 15 more minutes. about Eden? I haven't seen her.
1: Miles, you wake up alone, just like you do much every night. And tonight, you are sunken into a massive, posh bed with silks and the most expensive, comfortable sleepwear you can afford. The house is quiet. You know, at least for the moment, the quarter you care for is safe. But something just doesn't feel right. Like a piece of you was left behind in the depths of that chantry, but you begin your ritual. You prepare for the evening, and as you do, what do you put on?
3: I think it's more of a casual miles look of just a button-up shirt and a pair of slacks, taken from various different colors. I think at this point he's gone with a very comfortable blue that is he was wore for a very long time. And he looks over at where the katana is stored, and. Checks in on it a bit, but just kind of, as with the first few moments, tries to remember that things are going well currently, for the most part, and try to ground himself in that with all of the, everything going on with the city, and then the Chantry, bad stuff happening out of nowhere, and then just that mental attack from something beyond comprehension that stripped him of every inclination that he was strong enough for the things to come
1: As you ponder it, it's as though it's made manifest. And in the mirror, you see your reflection lost in a sea of bone and flesh. And with, like, a buzzing sensation, you are snapped back to the point you're at. Back into the room that you're in, your haven. And you're again staring at your image in the mirror.
3: Taking a few deeply unnecessary breaths at this point. He straightens himself out as best he can, smooths back his hair, and proceeds to go out and see what kind of trouble the Coterie's gotten up to so far.
1: Upon exiting the room, uh, almost right away, you see Wyn and Johnny.
4: Wyn is sitting on the kitchen counter, her legs crossed, brushing her hair. A little lost, but easily comforted by the, the ritual of brushing her hair, which probably not commonly seen. She doesn't seem to do much with her hair other than braid it and keep it out of the way. She gives him a nod when he comes up.
2: Johnny is fiddling with his Zippo lighter. Looks a little bit at unease because he's out of cigarettes at this point. How are you doing, Miles? You look just like I feel.
3: Miles returns, wins nod, and gives a small smile at that from uh, Johnny. Rough <laughs> night last night i don't know if you guys got any of that whatever attack that it did but no what are you talking about
4: yeah i i didn't get anything that wasn't very easy to see
3: it had some sort of psychic attack must have been directed johnny lowers his
2: head a little bit and looks at you through past his brow
3: and gives you a very cautious look it got into your head um, completely and utterly, but it wasn't there to do things like Venture normally did. It was there to strip me of everything that I am.
4: Wind's brow kind of furrows, not in anger, but in concern. Okay, um, can you elaborate on that?
3: I, I don't know a lot more, but it's not gone away with sleep. Let's put it that way. There is a... A wearing at my core.
4: Some of the worst things that Kindred do to one another has nothing to do with claws or fangs.
2: Considering you had a demon make a nest in your head, the fact that this thing wore away at your core does not sound good.
3: Well, the demon and I had an agreement. Sure you did. This thing was out to destroy. I get the sense that Over enough time, I can build it back. But it was... It's essentially a very deep wound.
4: Is there anything we can do to help?
3: I'm unaware if you've gotten anything else in terms of repairing mind or possibly souls.
4: Not so much. But what I can tell you is that that thing was a predator. And predators hit people that can do them harm. And he saw you as someone who could really do damage if he hit you with something like that. So... Fuck him.
3: I think it may have been for the best. My job was not, in that particular scenario, fighting the dragon, per se.
4: (laughs) Not the way Johnny and I were, but...
3: It was to make sure that the team fought and killed it. I saw those things raining from the sky. They were dead, thanks to you.
4: Yeah, I don't move as fast as Johnny. If we'd had to stop and deal with those, that dragon would probably still be standing, and I'd probably still be stuck inside it.
3: That was the intention. I'm glad that they never came down in quite the mass that they could have but
4: miles just wounds like that do heal they take time but i promise you they do heal
3: we all carry wounds johnny
2: gives wind a sideways glance i'm not sure all wounds heal
4: they don't but when things are broken you don't always put them back together the same way they were sometimes you take the fragments and you build something new like a mosaic it's change it's not necessarily bad even though it feels incredibly intensely bad and shitty in the moment
2: that's why you're an optimist
4: am i i see the class is twice as big as
3: it needs to be man
2: he gives a halfway smile at that
3: i think if nothing else since this is a piece of a greater whole it has given us an idea of some of the capabilities of the whole and maybe we can do things to ward against it in the future so a positive to be drawn
4: well way to be the optimist
2: well i'll I'll go ahead and be the the pessimist here if there's a fucking hole i have no idea how we're gonna kill that thing i'm pretty sure we're fucked
3: good to know um i would like to think that everything that exists on this plane can be killed to one degree or another so hopefully
2: well hopes and dreams aren't gonna get us very far if we decide to try to tangle with that thing or even worse if it decides it wants to leave new york and come tangle with us
4: we may not be able to control the outcome, but we determine how we fight it. Sure. I mean, it's dying does not mean you don't survive. What? Just I'm going all philosophy major on you. I'm sorry.
3: I'm hoping we'll pick up more tools, more weapons. Now that we know all some the
2: chainsaws things. and fucking within 100 miles aren't going to help us against whatever the fuck is in
3: New York. Mm-hmm. We need to find some actual answers. Right. I was speaking more metaphorical.
4: So who's going down to get Britta?
3: I was about to ask if she had been out yet.
4: No. Uh, Ira went out on a cigarette run, but Britta and Eden have yet to be seen.
3: Can you check on Eden? Yeah. I'll check on Britta. She's been through a few things and... Yeah. I have some knowledge of some of those, so we'll see how it goes.
4: All right. And Wynn uncrosses her legs and slides off the counter and, again, pads down the stairs.
3: Miles nods his head towards Johnny and moves towards the room that he had uh, made up for Britta.
1: Neil, You look around and everywhere you see is some future consequence. And then you see a face that you recognize. But first, you hear the sound of his boots, his spurs. And there you see Johnny Sire Delgado, having pleasant interactions with some of the gathered sabbat, he has a tempestuous expression in his eyes. Something has stressed him out. He's displeased despite how joyous the bot is. A young man who is clearly a sombra largely because his t-shirt says sombra <laughs> across the chest,
4: <laughs> very subtle,
1: rushes over to Delgado. Hey, hey, man. We support the black hand and all things. We got your back. Sign us up. We're down for crusade. Let's do it. You know, we heard about the situation and, you know, I got pack mates. They got gats. We can do whatever you need. If you need more black hand, we'll do it. Nightwatch has you. Nogato reaches for this young La grabs the lick by his face and shoves him aside. <laughs> but as he walks, he raises the clipboard. And adds another name to the list.
0: Neil... Has seen... Delgado in person. Has annoyed... Delgado in person. (laughs) And wants to get... Nowhere near this man. He's still not... Completely clear... What black hand means. I mean there was a time when... Based on what Johnny said... He thought Delgado was the black hand. That was just who that was. And then... With everything with Britta and the explanations later, he's not clear, but it's definitely something. And he has a clipboard. And that kid, the the member of the Night Watch, said he would join the crusade, wanted to fight, and Delgado looks annoyed, like something is, I don't know, holding up the crusade. So what he's going to do is peel off and skulk through this gathering and hope to fucking God not to get caught. And he's gonna try and follow Delgado to listen to other conversations that's going on with this man and to see if he can the list because one of the things he needs to find is who's coming which packs are going to fight in the crusade as you follow the Delgado there are other Sabat
1: that approach all of them again we support the black hand don't worry we have faith those traitors will find them Delgado nods continues on his way And eventually, he makes it to this space where there is a circular table, seats that are assembled, and there is a man who you recognize from the attack on Warwick, and he is dressed exquisitely, a white shirt, white vest, subtle jewelry, silver accents, Sort of like how the women before were all dressed bright and stood out in this this sea of gothic black outfits. He is clad in white, his hair slicked back, his widow's peaks and facial hair, eyes that are almost all black. And Delgado bows his head to him. As the man turns, you see the subtle signs of a sunburn on the side of his cheek, some remnant of... From whenever he was embraced. Gardinol. Delgado says to him. I have some updates regarding Connecticut. I've also got a list of volunteers for Crusade. What else do you need? Polonia nods. Pleased. An ally. From North. Is coming to meet with us. I want no interruptions. I want it made clear. That the turncoats. Who fled the Black Hand and venture to Alamut are not seen as weakness on our part. These are the final stages. With the omens that hang in the sky, our brothers and sisters will be hungry to show the ancients that we are ready for war. Do you understand? Delgado nods. Understood. Who is the guest? The cardinal takes an unnecessary breath sister of the brutes, Doc Selina. I'll get refreshments. Delgado turns and starts marching all the way back towards the blood feast. Do you continue to follow Delgado? Mm.
5: <laughs> that feels like the right response. Well, Did he leave the list or does he still I'm, have so it? So
1: first I'm looking at the clipboard. The clipboard is left on the table. But I have to get
0: closer closer. to the table and closer He leaves the clipboard uh, on the table and then heads back. But I have to sort of float closer to the table to get a look at it? Yes, you do. For a second, Neil is frozen in indecision. Not for the first time in his life, but based on the things he's been trying to do and where he's at, he is going to try and look at that list at the clipboard. Under the reasoning that if Delgado has been walking around and he's ready to present this list to Polonia, then it's, if not a final list, then at least reasonably well-rounded. So we'll give him a decent idea of the number or types of packs that are coming. And he's going to try and get a little closer. I didn't get like a sense of when this Dark Selina is going to be coming, just that Polonia doesn't want to be interrupted. Correct. Okay. That sounds bad. Don't know if I want to be in the room for that shit. So I'm going to uh, try and approach the table just to get a peek at the list and kind of linger near Polonia for a second. Delgado has a presence. I feel like if I need to find him again, I probably can.
1: As you approach, you become keenly aware that there are powers here that can see into
0: the astral plane, and I need a stealth check. (laughs) I will be spending one of those auspicious willpower. Six successes. Ten successes oh. you
1: You make your way to the list The cardinal sits And seems to take his time preparing a cigar Enjoying the cacophony of sabat that fill this place And you start to read from a list the first you see is Children of the Crone. There is an addendum added. It would appear that Delgado suspects that they are Baharists. Massis reason to bring them anyway. As many boots on the ground as they can get is what they want. Another is the wrecking crew. Another, deliverance of the unworthy. Another, is written Noctis Regum. The list goes on. Misery's Company, The Aftermath, night watch. you recognize them. The Sugars, Here Comes Trouble, In Midnight Gland, B.A. Bites, Radamahada, The Crimson Tide, a name you recognize from up north. The Givers, Steak and Bake, the last is Blackbone Crusade. You sort of survey the room, and you actually see... Two guys, big puffy coats, backwards, red New York Yankees caps. One has a gold chain that says the word steak across it. Another, a gold chain that reads bake.
4: How is steak spelled?
1: S-T-A-K. Okay. Wait, wait. Still wrong. That's not okay. <laughs> this man, the other one, has nine red tears. Under his right eye, and the rest of your Corridor would recognize this man To be a dog, accompanied By his best friend and brother In Cane, C-Dog <laughs> You tilt your head to the side Fixating on the Misspelling of this chain
2: <laughs>
1: And that's when you see It, a beautiful But horrifying Androgynous creature, perfectly Symmetrical and utterly Alien, you remember it From the attack on Warwick it wielded thaumaturgy with terrifying might, incinerating crowds of Camerla kindred. In this moment, you see the Vicos, and Sasha Vico sees you.
3: Finding the door closed, he knocks.
5: It's extremely difficult to hear, but there is a very, very muffled, hey.
3: Hello? Can I open the door?
5: Again, Very, very difficult to hear. Yeah.
3: Miles, uh, you know, slowly opens the door, taking in the general state of things.
5: What Miles sees is a room that's mostly not very much touched from the way that he set it up. Except for the major difference being that the bed has been stripped of anything comfortable. All the pillows are gone, all the blankets are gone,
3: and it's empty. You in the bathroom? From the closet, muffled. No. All right. Miles paces around the room and looks at the things that he's placed here before, taking a seat on the bed facing the closet door.
5: Britta's used some of it. Things like there being a towel neatly draped to dry and some of the hygiene stuff that you'd left.
3: Kind of just quietly sits there for a little bit. After a little while, he goes, So you've been gone for a few days. Yeah. How'd that go? It seemed to have gotten more interesting than originally anticipated.
5: There's a soft noise. Britta pushes the door to the closet open, probably to facilitate conversation, but she doesn't come out. You can see that she's built a nest, and she's still laying down. She's still curled up. She's made herself very small within the space. And she kind of curls back in tighter even to respond to having opened the door. But she looks up at you and she says, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been a lot. Miles, can we, as, as kindred, can we, can we go back to bed?
3: I don't think we go back to sleep.
5: Do you, do you have to spend blood for it?
3: I don't think we get to rest like that.
5: Britta looks saddened
3: further. I've not done it a lot myself. I find I am the opposite. I keep myself occupied and busy instead. Britta
5: chews on a response. She's trying to think of something to say, but that usual conversational skill for her, it doesn't seem as present.
3: Do you want to go over the general events? We're not really sure what happened to you after the attack on the abbot.
5: I mean, I guess everyone should... There's so much I have to tell everyone, and there's so much we have to do, and...
3: Always. There's always a hundred things to do.
5: I just... I feel like I make all of it worse, and I dragged you guys... Into me making it all worse. And I don't know how to keep on handling it.
3: I'm not sure what you think you've made worse.
5: You guys wouldn't have been in that Chantry without me.
3: I don't think we would have had a chance in the Chantry without you. But I think we may have ended up there regardless. Reese had called for us. And Reese was in a bad way.
5: Britta... Closes her eyes once more, like she is testing whether the idea is correct that she couldn't go back to sleep. But after a few moments of frustration, there's a rustle as she sits herself up. Her hair's little mussed up in the way of someone who's gone to bed with it wet, and she looks like she's picked out just the cheapest, most comfortable things you've bought: slouchy sweatshirt, sweatpants, that kind of thing. And even though you're more casual, did you still kind of put yourself together? Is your
3: hair brushed nicely? Or... I mean, I'm still me, so yes. <laughs> casual miles is like a 12 <laughs> for anybody else, right?
5: It's pretty rare. You've seen Britta in various odd forms of disarray, but she just she doesn't seem to have it in her to fix her hair or that kind of thing. She
3: kind of nods. There's not a lot that needs to be done for most of us in the next few days, at least.
5: There's some stuff that I should probably do as quick as possible, but you're, you're right, I, I have to go over everything. Um, I think I... I think I'm gonna have to probably make a list. A list. There's been, like, really, like, like, a lot.
3: Yeah, it seems like it. You left with Pendragon and came back with interesting friends and somewhere along the line neil has vanished
5: have you in this room provided britta with a landline
3: i don't see why not
5: at the mention of neil britta makes herself stand up and she shuffles over to the landline you've gotten tries to dial neil's number
1: it rings and rings and then there is an answer hello neil's phone speaking you hear weathers
5: what we- weathers yeah Is Neil okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of
1: makes a sound... Is that Britta? Is that you? Yeah, sorry. What about you? Where'd you go?
5: Um, I've just gotten back to New Haven. Um, Where have you been? I was in Hartford for a while, and then in Rhode Island.
1: Neil's helping with the project. He's... He's not dead.
5: Are you okay? Where's Johnny? miles is johnny downstairs put him on oh can you can you um
3: I'll, I'll go get him and hold on push the button next to the number one brita does so johnny pick up the phone in that room and press the number one the blinky one <laughs> it's gonna go as well as expected.
4: <laughs>
2: no i i think johnny has spent enough time in the uh, office that he he actually knows how to operate a uh Lone a a clunky device like this. He's been this, sent to Charlie. This, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight even before, <laughs> even before, Even before that, the, you know, bully boy. bully boy in the sheriff's office, I had to take yeah. calls like that. Yeah. yeah. This is Johnny. Johnny. Old man, what are you doing? We're in New York. Why are you in New York?
4: Wynne just kind of, her face goes through a series of expressions at relief at hearing that Weathers is in fact alive and, oh, fuck, why is he in New York at, you're in New York.
1: There's some sort of disaster going on, it's far reaching.
2: You're, uh... That's an understatement of the year, old man. Your little scourge bait friend, Kabir. It's got something to do with this clan. Oh, fuck. You and Kabir are both down in New York?
4: Wait, what? Make him check his phone!
2: For now. Johnny holds up an exasperated finger towards Wynn. Is there, is there anybody else at this party down in the city? That's not what's important. This is what
1: matters. We're working on making an exchange. If it works, we may be able to get support to keep the Anoraks sustained against the coming invasion. Maybe
2: more importantly to your well-being, we're getting information on the Sabbat. There's a big move coming. Weathers, I'm sure the Sabbat is on everybody's minds right now, but there is some complications happening that makes that shit look tiny. That's a little hard to believe, but I'll hear you out once we get back. I think you need to hear me out now, Weathers. New York is not the place you want to be. Thanks, Johnny. I wasn't fucking sure. (laughs) I just barely made it out of the Chantry. It has collapsed under the weight of flesh from vicissitude gone wild. Ah, oh, goddamn it, you two! Weathers, I'm not fucking around here. You know me, and you know the fact that I am not one prone to flights of fancy or bullshit legends. There's weird stuff out there, but I'm not. I'm not one of these Gehenna cultists. Johnny, I need a favor. All right. The Brua rave. We need it
1: soon. We need it to go well. We need to recruit every ally we can get against the storm that's coming. Which storm is that? Because I think you're thinking too small. Whatever you're worried about. What are we going to do about it if the Sabbat comes, kicks us in, and we die? What do we do? I'm not trying to say you're crazy or that I need to ignore you. I get it. You've seen some shit. You've seen some bad shit. But you cannot underestimate the Sabbat and what's coming. We have to be ready, and I need you, I need you to start the call to arms, get every brouhaha we can get to help us. There's brouhaha on the
2: side of the Sabbat, too, you know. Well, then don't invite them, Johnny. Come on. I'm just saying maybe we do. (sighs) I'll leave that up to you.
4: Ask him how far out he is.
2: How far out are you in before coming back? I can't relay any information like that yet. All right.
1: But it's... It's, you're not going to see me tonight. I All
2: can right. tell you that. Well, I'll, I'll get this rave started. I'll put the call out. I'll do you that favor. I'll do that solid. You just do me one favor. If what we saw up here is as bad as I think, it came from New York.
1: You're talking about the Zantosa thing?
2: Yeah. I
1: might have something for you. All he hangs s- up. I think it's a very, like, sudden... Almost as if he didn't hang up. Uh, it's a little difficult to tell. You know that it was not, like, it was not a natural end to a conversation. Johnny takes a few
2: moments, puts the phone down, shoots a look at at Wynn. I'm sorry I kept you out of that. I know Kabir is... Weathers is with him. He's probably one of of the people that I would trust with my life, Kabir's life, anybody else's.
4: I mean, you're not going to get any argument from me.
3: Once she hangs up the phone, and the line is transferred out to Johnny. Good news, it seems?
5: Yeah, um, Weather says he has Neil. Alright. Didn't really get a lot more information than that. It seemed like they were doing something dangerous, but...
3: Well, it's good to know that he's alive. He hoping ha- he'll have something to tell us when he comes back.
5: Yeah.
3: So, did he find you?
5: Um... Yeah, that kind of skips a lot of steps, but yeah, he he um found me when I was in Rhode Island.
3: I mean, the facts are, and events are one thing, but seems like there was a lot more going on, and being a more social vampire sometimes has some odd consequences.
5: Miles, I. The last time we saw each other, we had killed the abbot, and I already didn't feel okay. Um, that we killed her, and I, I, going back and forth about whether we even should have, if there was a way out of it, or. Or if even if we took a way out, would that be damning ourselves because then we'd not be killing Sabat and just the circle of how that goes and I, there's been so much since then and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna make a list. Britta goes over to the art supplies that you've got her, picks out like a nice not like one of the nicer pens. But I figure you kind of got her generally high-quality materials. That would be correct. Like a high-quality black pen and a drawing pad. She starts scribbling. And she is writing a list for an uncomfortably long amount of time about what seemed to be bullet points.
3: He glances at it occasionally, but he lets her continue. He kind of continues to... He gets up and he walks around the room some and pokes at things, keeping an eye on her, but letting her do what she thinks she needs to do.
5: She finishes, and then realizes that she hasn't finished, and adds something back into the middle, but then gets back up. Seems to feel cold despite that not being all that natural for a vampire. Finds some slippers that you've bought for her in the room, and holding her arms in close to herself, slips them on, and tries to shuffle closer to leave the room, looking at the door with apprehension.
3: There are things you... Don't necessarily need to share.
5: Yeah. I am... I'm kind of scared that if I talk about some of it, it'll make things worse. Like what? You guys get mad really easily.
3: I mean, some of us are more prone to that than others.
5: I'll try to keep that in mind that I, I don't have to...
3: I mean, you could always start some of it with me.
5: I kind of got Pendragon to agree not to kill us and then really fucked that up. I'm going to need to apologize, and I... I don't know how to... Um... I don't know if you guys have, like, Prince's phone numbers or something. I
3: i can get in contact with Pendragon if necessary.
5: Um... I... I, um... I felt when Roland died and it didn't feel, it felt like I lost someone that I loved and it didn't, it didn't feel like it, it broke the way that people had talked about. And, and you, you were, Prince and, um, Britta trails off. She doesn't seem to really know how to follow that idea through.
3: What is it about me taking Prince you want to know?
5: I get that I would have been a dangerous person to tell if you guys were gonna make a move. Is that what happened?
3: Yes. We had to keep you out of the loop because of the effects of the blood bond.
5: That could have gotten me hurt, too.
3: There are always risks, but taking Rollins by surprise was necessary. Okay. Okay. He had started trying to demand your presence there. He was looking to make that bomb more permanent.
5: Britta shrinks, very physical wince, and she looks at the ground, and she
3: shuts up. How much of his behavior before do you remember?
5: What do you What do you mean?
3: I don't know how much the blood bond shaded. How much you remember of how he was acting?
5: This- as time has passed, I um, feel like I'm able to hate him more and what he did. And that feeling of, of loss is, I guess, it feels like it's it's um souring back to what it should be, just slowly.
3: I've heard some things like this, but with... I, re-
5: I remember it as it was.
3: The displaced princes coming. We could not have Roland's in charge anymore. It would have caused... I can't even imagine how it would have gone. It would have been a bloodbath. Yeah. And they're here. Yeah. All of the princes are already here.
5: She nods, but she remains crunched up.
3: Any other questions?
5: She shakes her head.
3: What about this bothers you?
5: I, um... I can't really untangle it like that. I I felt I felt a lot of it, and I don't know how to explain that other than other than I I had I had a nightmare during the day, and I, I felt like the the fear and the sense of the coming knife, and I and I knew it was coming, and I knew it was coming when I felt the bond, and and then it it snapped, and I. And I didn't know for a while that you guys were going to have taken the position. I mean, I I guess, I hoped, but I didn't know if you guys were going to try to back him in praxis or something, and I, um...
3: I don't know. No, this isn't the last time you have opportunities to ask questions. Yeah. How about Pendragon?
5: Britta peeks up at Miles, trying to suss out what he wants... Not in a suspicious way,
3: just she's feeling lost and overwhelmed. He shrugs. Just, what did he do? Where did you go?
5: I don't want to have to say everything a bunch. Um, basically, we, he summoned me to his um, limo and we talked and we went back to Hartford and I stayed at his haven for a bit and then we went to we went to a a gala at Warwick's and that went really, really badly and the Tamahira were there and then the Sabot attacked and then I need to tell you Elsa's
3: gone. Miles pauses questions gone how?
5: It seemed I mean I couldn't see it but it seemed like Carmen c- killed
3: her. Miles closes his eyes and Rubs the bridge of his nose.
5: Where's everyone?
3: Upstairs. I guess we should go talk to everyone.
5: Yeah.
3: I'll lead the way. Come on.
5: Britta shuffles behind you.
0: Neil looks at this utterly terrifying being and... Alex, I just saw the sun open up over Ravana. We roll for it off screen and I've been jumping into other people's scenes without my knowledge, but I would love a distraction right now. As I do... I got nothing in the face of the Vikos. So if I could, I still have four Week of Nightmares tokens, so to speak, left. I would love a distraction right now. Okay. You stare at it. It stares at you. It extends
1: a long spindly finger and beckons a man to approach it this man was wearing sunglasses at night has a trench coat on has bleach blonde hair slicked back and on his neck there is a black spiral tattooed onto him and it says to him tally we have a guest and as tally starts to turn his head in the direction that the vicos is looking You hear an audible from the group of people that he had been watching like a dog. And the man crumbles to the ground, collapsing to ash. And standing over him in a black corset, impossibly tight leather pants, and knee high boots is Lucida. And the room turns towards her. And quick, too quick. She steps back into
0: a shadow and is gone. You have just a moment. Neil, immediately, as soon as he sees that, I think, it, in all honesty, is also stunned for a second by the appearance of Lucida. <laughs> but serendipity being what it was, maybe is a half second quicker to get his shit together. And in that split second, Neil flees to the room, away from the Vicos and whatever Tali is, and just goes back into the horror show of this, you know, blood feast, and then for a moment wants to just say, okay, I've got enough, I've got enough, I don't want to do this anymore, and flee back to his body, but looks around and decides to stay, to get a little bit more, to sate a little more curiosity. Flees into the crowd, sort of If you could just see him in the Astral Realm, it would look ridiculous, because he's, like, ducking behind cover and, like, running back and forth, hiding in the crowd that doesn't exist where he exists, but is doing all of these, like, you-can't-catch-me maneuvers to hide, and then, like, jumps basically into a room through a door to hide out so he can linger a few moments longer just to make sure he knows and can see what the Sabat is up to hoping that he has lost the attention of the Vikos with the appearance of Lucida. Well, roll me a stealth check. I will uh, absolutely be spending my second auspicious willpower on this. Understood. And with my, does my lurking spec apply? It does. Well, with my lurking spec, that is ten successes. (laughs) You find a spot to hide, and you wait. And you back in,
1: looking around, and there's one more familiar face. She's very well dressed and carries her sword with her. But you recognize the ductus of the killing spree, conducting a minor meeting. And she is speaking to a mortal, someone who lives and breathes and is dressed in, you know, a little jacket, black cargo pants way too baggy and has like a little chain that goes from like their front pocket and hangs and loops around to their back pocket. And he says to her, there are cracks in the armor that have been found so far. The prince is a dioplarist. The moment this reaches his sire's ears, he will be obligated to destroy him. The moment this reaches the ears of the runaway kindred, they will burn the city to the ground to replace him he provides the necessary window she shifts in her seat pleased a diabolist he nods he devoured the prince took his place seized power she kind of smiles impressive what do you want done she tilts her head from side to side my sire is conducting a meeting when he is finished This information will be brought to him, and he will utilize it for the crusade. For now, continue monitoring the domain, succeed,
0: and you shall serve as the Bishop of New Haven. From where I'm standing, I can see both these people, right? You can. Are they the only two here having this discussion? Yes, they are. You said this is clearly a mortal man, like, breathing and stuff. I have a weirdly paranoid thought right now. Can I use aura perception to see if this is somebody riding around inside a ghoul suit? Or is yes, say, you can.
4: I actually don't think that's paranoid. <laughs>
2: no, we were all having that same thought.
4: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that was a group paranoia.
1: Nine successes. You do not possess enough aspects to see the
0: aura. However, is that not an answer enough? <sighs> I'm getting an error message, and I only get error messages if it is elder-level bullshit or above. Indeed. Neil, from his hidden location, just stares between Carmen and whoever the fuck this is. Someone from New Haven who is working with the Sabat, who not only knows the domain, but knows... I mean, this is the first time I've heard I think that the current prince of New Haven is a Diablorist. it is
5: <laughs> Rollins is <as> a Diablerist?
0: <laughs> do you even know that he's actually prince yet no I don't know that he succeeded but we did talk and it ended off with a good luck on your praxis so
5: <laughs>
0: that's a tomorrow night problem
2: <laughs>
1: there's chaos happening Outside, as people are scrambling, chasing Lucida, trying to be the one who took down Lucida. And the door starts to open. Carmen leaps onto the mortal, sinking her fangs into his throat, and just starts feeding. The door opens, and it is the Vicos.
0: What is this? Carmen looks up, feeding. What do you do? Neil, uh, as has like a weird moment of. Wanting to do something to to lash out at Carmen specifically, at this like woman who has consistently terrorized him and then immediately thinks better of it and will just flee. And now that he's not trying to look around for things, needs to get this back unseen, is no longer willing to push his luck, and Lex, I'm going to immediately follow my thread as fast as I can back to my body. you flee fleeing in an instant. You are back to your body, which is in a car,
1: peeling out as Weathers attempts to drive the group of you to safety. And as you sit up and look out the window, you can see ravenous, frenzied vampires, almost a dozen of them, rushing towards the car, hungry for Kabir. Ira. You've been walking the streets of New Haven alone for a bit now, and you keep seeing people walk by, minding their business, having no idea just how close this city just came to who knows what. And it isn't long walking the main strip that you come to a gas station, not too far off from a stop and shop. and at the gas station right outside, the three payphones
0: Lined up side by side. Every time one of those people walks by, Ira has that sort of internal, you don't even know you almost died or worse thought. And he also has that paranoid, like, is this really it? Are you really you? Is somebody... He's got that energy of someone who's expecting to get jumped at any minute. And he sees the payphones, which is what he's coming for. But first, he goes in and just goes straight to the counter and looks at the guy and is like, um, uh, cartons, you, you sell cartons here? They look at you like you have three heads. Like, it's an insane question, <laughs> but he's, like, not really in the right headspace right now. And he just slaps an amount of cash down probably too much. There's two cartons of Morley's. So, is that going to be menthol, non-menthol? Just, no, non-menthol. Oh, okay.
2: Morley twenty sevens. So-
1: <laughs> <laughs> you want that uh, Blend 27? It's a new thing. No, just... God damn, we can't get rid of these fucking things. Least. And he, get,
0: he pulls up a carton. It's gonna cost you 40. Uh, Ira looks at the cash, he slaps down, and then, like, takes them back off until there's just, like, two left down there. You, uh, you want to grab some scratches, too? Could be your lucky day. No. And he just picks up the cartons and, like, walks back out. As you head back out,
1: you've been in your own head this whole time. But you start to notice more and more people are just kind of like, what, do you see that? Do you see that? And they look to the sky, and there you see a baleful
0: red star looming over the world. Ira, with his naked eye, no heightened senses, just stares at this thing probably longer than he means to. And just thoughts of... The things that Merlinda told him about, like, oh yeah, we're planning to bail on the apocalypse. Asterisk, the aposto- The apocalypse is real. Uh, thinking about Dampir and the last daughter of Eve. Thinking about all the cultists and people who said shit inside Clan Tremere that he has snuffed out over the last many years. And this red star in the sky and what all that means... And like he often does when he's a little bit overwhelmed by too much, like Ira's a very methodical person, so he tries to focus his mind back on, okay, one step in front, one thing that I have to do, one thing in front of me, and he focuses his mind back on Reese. As if like, okay, if I can just take care of this job, then I can start to worry about the bigger things. And he, while everybody else is still looking up at the sky and are distracted or in their own little worlds, he goes over to that bank of three payphones and he takes the one that's furthest down the wall, like most away from mm-hmm. the street, picks the phone off the receiver and reaches into an inner pocket and pulls out basically what looks like a little metal, like, washer. And around the outside are little arcane, like, hermetic runes, hermetic uh, symbols that are inscribed onto it. And instead of putting a quarter in the machine... He drops in the slug and then dials a number he has committed to memory. Upon dialing,
1: the call tone from the phone has like a series of beeps and clicking noises and behaves unusually. And after moments of this, you hear a crystal clear voice on the other side. Uh, a princess...
0: We were just discussing you, you hear Merlinda say. When I call the Aster line through this little phone ritual, usually do I get the inner counsel or do I get the Asters usually? Is it so, unusual that Merlinda's picking up the phone?
1: Usually uh, it is an Aster that answers on the other end. However, these Asters do work under Merlinda. Yeah. So it is something that she has access to. She sees the calls when they come in. Makes sense. She's more than able
0: to... Right, I wasn't questioning ability, just how often does, like, the you, boss answer when you call You it don't online. often hear from Melinda. Hello, Counselor. It is an unexpected pleasure for you to pick up the call. I was just calling to give a report to hopefully convene a council of Aster's. Well, I was actually just reviewing a report to me that was
1: forwarded by Pontifex Diamond, written by the newly minted Lord Reese. It speaks of you quite favorably. Lord Reese's report. Yes. Speaks of me favorably. I am to understand that the situation in New England has been cleaned up. The blowback from the Camarilla, uh, you're already in a position to mitigate. And additionally, you have acquired an object that we have a vested interest in maintaining. So, arrangements will be made for you to fly out to Dallas tonight. And we will be discussing a promotion that is due
0: to you. Ira is silent for a very long time. Unclear. I have no idea if Merlinda can see me right now. Probably not, but with the council you never know. His face is set in stone and his mind is racing. Congratulations, Regent. He's, again, quiet way longer than he should be. Thank you, counsellor. Your silence
1: is indicative of questions.
0: Might I be able to read the report? I was calling to make one myself. I like to be thorough, so I am surprised that one was sent so quickly without my awareness. Yes, of course, and Lord Reese. Submitted the
1: report last night before dawn. Now, what is your report?
0: Ira has been having a total crisis of faith, Mm -hmm. obviously, within... Indeed. ...Clan Tremere. And while it may be an extremely stupid move, I think the honest answer is that he answers honestly... Because despite the fact that he has no reason to have any trust in the system right now, he is who he is, and I think still somewhat trusts that, like, well, if the truth comes out, the system will understand that. And so he breathes for a second, knows it was going to be my recommendation that a Council of the Astors be convened to Discuss uh, Lord Reese. Go on. It was my understanding that there were several facets of the code that were broken in both spirit and letter by Lord Reese in his actions here that many are dead of our clan because of his actions and negligence, and that the masquerade as a whole and the entirety of this region were jeopardized because of a lack of oversight, I would say, based on what I have observed and... That the Camarilla as a whole would not take kindly to it. That he is going to be in contact with an individual who I understand the Lord's records when it comes to the things that happened in Salem and that a one Zachariah slain was deemed responsible and that He was properly commended for dealing with the one responsible, but I have evidence that suggests the regent, the lord, knew that Zacharias Lane was still at large, was perhaps aware of his ties to this particular area, and was going to seek him out. That they are enemies, and yet previous accolades and records may not be as truthful as one might expect. These are grave accusations.
1: You are prepared to make presentation to the Astra Council? I was. Very well. Collect the last order of Eve. The two of you will have your flight sent from Logan Airport and we will speak when you arrive. Yes, Counselor.
0: Well done. She disconnects. Ira just holds the phone in his hand. For a while in the dark, and then hangs up the phone and hits the like coin return button and pulls the little arcane slug back out of the slot. And, head full of thoughts, turns on his heel and starts walking back towards Miles's haven where the last Daughter of Eve is.
5: Path of Night is a Vampire the Masquerade podcast set in the world of darkness. Britta Ashcroft the Toreador was played by Rebecca Segelfest. Johnny Saxon the Bruja was played by Garrett Gabby. Miles Davenport, the Venture was played by Tim Davis. Neil Foster the Malkavian was played by Rob Muirhead. Wynn Cabot the Gangrel was played by Erica Webb. Your storyteller was Lex Lopez. Recording by Rebecca Sagelfest. This episode edited by Rob Muirhead. The music used in this episode was composed for Path of Night by Brian Metolius. Find him online at brianmetolius.com. Path of Night uses the 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Masquerade with a few limited house rules. Vampire the Masquerade and The World of Darkness are owned by Paradox Interactive. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can be found on YouTube at youtube.com slash at pathofnight. You can help support the show on coffee.com slash pathofnight. Find us on twitter.com slash pathofnightpod, on facebook.com slash podcasts, or email us at pathofnightpodcasts at gmail.com. See you next time, Kindred.
1: And we'll call that there. How you doing, (laughs) Rev? Don't like
5: that. Oh, you are right?
1: I mean,
0: that's such a fucking police
1: move, though, right? Yeah. Uh, Uh... what a reason move! A he did so great. You should talk to him.
4: <laughs> He's,
1: I'm so proud. We 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 made such a great team. Uh, he has the last daughter of Eve right now, though, so he'll be delivering that, won't you? <laughs> won't you, Apprentice? I'm sorry, Regent.
2: <laughs> Fuck! Some politics right there, man. Damn. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say, you know, from the beginning of the campaign, even till now, <laughs> Reese has been such a fucking amazing, like, bit of politics that, like, I really gotta commend you for. Like, thank I, you, I, thank you. So much better than everyone else at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for real, but, like, it's consistently been a, a really interesting part of the game is the fact that we can't just kill Reese.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he's also really good at the game. Oh, yeah. like, such a good villain. Because of the timing on that, that means Reese ran and did that while we were fighting Vito. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we were fighting Vito, and he was already like, mm, in case they win this. The He's tournament. like, yeah.
1: God, oh, hell no. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. <laughs> Get me my laptop. Well, the <laughs> thing is. you <laughs> to, <laughs> to write something for me. <laughs>
4: that poor little pixie-type yeah, monster what? thing. It's, like, dragging the laptop. I in learned place. to
0: smashing the laptop.
3: He saw what right you what did, I say dual
0: thought and elemental mastery because he's a fucking hunter link. Oh yeah, you he know he's
3: He saw what you did and he's like What you say? Oh no. I need to do something now because those motherfuckers will kill me. Oh yeah. And
1: it his his solution can't be magic. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, new guy. <laughs> hunt and pack. Where have you? Ever, you
1: know. look for. You hunt for the key. You pack the key. You hunt for the
0: key.
1: Nope. You pack the key. Hunt and peck. <laughs> uh,
0: Okay. How is it that my fucking Malkavian, who's in the back of a car in a hostile city, is in a less precarious scenario?
3: Nice knowing you. I've got a promotion. <laughs> so what do you, for think a you gonna do? So did fucking Reese, that asshole. I don't know. Lord
1: Reese, asshole.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm back, bitch.